Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Brian Kelly and his staff go into the transfer portal and get themselves not one, not two, but three Lee, three, three Lee. That's not a word. Try that again. Three highly. There it is. Talented transfers from power five programs that can come in and help the team immediately. Do they have the dance moves that I just displayed on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber? No, they probably do not. But they're probably a little bit better at football than yours, Charlie. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company on this chilly Friday morning. We're going to get you geared up for the weekend. It is wild card weekend. And we're going to preview those games. I'm going to give you my predictions for both the AFC and the NFC wildcard games. Will those predictions be correct? I wouldn't bet on it, but I'm still going to share them with you nonetheless. We're going to talk wildcard weekend. We're going to talk basketball, McNeese. Men and women both fall short last night against Northwestern State on the road in Natchitoches. UL women get a win at home. UL men go on the road and got themselves a win. And, of course, the undefeated LSU women keep rolling right along as they go on the road in Truck, Missouri. We'll get to all that hoops action for you. We have a great poll question of the day that you can go ahead and vote on as well. It's all about Sean Payton. Where do you think the former New Orleans Saints head football coach is going to go? Where is he going to land for the 2023 season? Remember, he teams, three teams in particular, have been given permission by the Saints to interview Sean Payton for their vacant head coaching job. Will it be the Arizona Cardinals? Will it be the Denver Broncos? Will it be the Houston Texans or will it be other? And other could also mean he's not coaching at all in 2023. Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kiddos. We have three guests lined up today for this edition of RP3 and Company. We're going to talk in LSU women's basketball with Dylan Sanders. He's going to join us at 7.30 at 8 o'clock. Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. We're going to talk Raging Cajuns. And 8.32 for the Big Easy Blitz. Ryan Hinton, better known as that boy, Wolf from the Saints Twitter podcast. We'll talk Saints offseason decisions. So those are the three guests we got lined up for today's show. 
And of course, you know, we love to hear from you. Hotlines open as always, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But I want to talk about the LSU football team adding three Power 5 transfers to the football roster. And this isn't a situation where you go out and you just get you some, you get you a guy from the Sun Belt or the American or something like that. No, this is getting guys that are in the transfer portal that have playing time from other Power 5 conferences. It includes J.K. Johnson from Ohio State, cornerback. It also includes cornerback Deuce Chestnut from Syracuse and edge rusher. I'm just going to call him double O because I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this young man's name from the University of Texas. Not even going to try. There's letters in there that I feel shouldn't be even in the name. So that just goes, it's just, no, we're not even, double O. I'm going to say big double O. The three additions will enroll at LSU for the spring semester, which means they will be ready to go for spring football, which is immensely important because they can start learning the playbook. They can get incorporated with what the schemes need to be. They can build chemistry with their fellow players, and they'll be ahead of the curve for fall camp. The 2023 roster now features 10 transfers along with the freshman signing class of 25 players. So Brian Kelly, another offseason, another active offseason with the NCAA transfer portal. J.K. Johnson played two seasons at Ohio State where he appeared in 15 games starting five times this past season. So this is a guy that's going to be bringing starting experience to the table. He's been playing high-level college football for a couple seasons. The connection to LSU, you're asking? Well, he played high school football for LSU cornerbacks coach Robert Steeples in St. Louis, Missouri. So already has a connection with the coach on staff, feels more comfortable. That's also a good sign for J.K. Johnson making that adjustment, being able to understand the scheme, the playbook. He already has a shorthand, if you will, with the coach. That's going to make things so much easier for his transition. And cornerback and defensive back in particular was going to is, or was rather, a position of need this offseason yet again. So getting a guy who started five games this past season, has appeared in 15 games in two seasons playing for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and already has a relationship with the cornerbacks coach, that's a huge deal. Take that all day long. Now, he was the also the consensus number one prep player in Missouri for the class of 2021. Chestnut, meanwhile, from Syracuse. Obviously, Syracuse not on the same level as Ohio State. We understand this. But they do play in the ACC. So this is someone who has had some good experience. And here's the other thing. 
Chestnut was a freshman All-American in 2021. Starting at cornerback for all 24 games of his Syracuse career. So this is a guy, freshman All-American, has two full seasons of starts under his belt against ACC competition. He earned third-team All-ACC honors and was the runner-up for the ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year. In two years with the Orange, 83 tackles, 13 passes defended, and four interceptions, one of which he returned 28 yards for a touchdown against an opponent in 2022. So you're getting two starting cornerbacks from the Big Ten and the ACC. Does that mean that they're going to be ready for SEC competition? Not necessarily. But they have a wealth of experience under their belts. They still have a couple years of eligibility left. And they're enrolling early, which means they can learn the playbook early. They can understand the scheme. They can go through spring football. So that's huge because that was a position of need once again this offseason. You're bringing in two guys with starting experience. That's a huge deal for the Tigers. Speaking of huge, all oh, this fella, he is a big boy. Six foot three, 239 pounds, senior transfer, originally out of Harrison High School in Texas. He's had an interesting career. That's Ovi Ugufo? Ugufu? How'd I do five names? Come on, grade me here. Terrible. <laughs> like, I know I spell out right how to do the pronunciation. <laughs> Ovi Ogofu. Ovi Ogofu. Yes. Oh, Ovi Ogofu. I got it right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, just go ahead and close up shop for the rest of the day. I'm winning it. Sure. You say so. Thank you. You're welcome. No problem. Close your microphone now. <laughs> Ovi played two years at the University of Texas after beginning his playing career for, guess who? Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Once again, two of the three guys have already relationships with two of the coaches on staff, which means, once again, they're going to be ahead of the curve here. He started 20 games at Texas and was twice named the Big 12 Commissioner's Honor Roll. So he's got the grades down pat, which is always a plus for LSU or really any SEC team. In two years with the Longhorns, he was credited with 96 tackles, 14 tackles for a loss, and four and a half sacks. So defensive line was a point of emphasis. Remember, they do get Mason Smith back coming off the injury. He injured himself in the opener against Florida State. So they're going to get him back as well. But three players, power five transfers, one from Ohio State, one from Syracuse, and one who played at Notre Dame and at Texas. Two of the three have relationships with coaches on staff, having been coached by them, which is a big plus. And you attack two of the positions of need this offseason. Cornerback, defensive line. 
and all three are going to be enrolling for this spring semester, which means they'll be ready for spring football. Brian Kelly understands the transfer portal. There was some concern, well, you know, in this new era of the NCAA transfer. Brian Kelly knows how to make the short-term pitch is the best way I can describe it. This is what he does. And maybe this is really his forte. Lots of people not happy with Walker Howard transferring out, right? Entering the transfer portal. I get it. And that was a guy that Brian Kelly made a priority in his year one. First signing class, got to have Walker Howard. Okay. But Brian Kelly's been able to get Jaden Daniels to come in. Starting quarterback, helping to 10 wins in the SEC West Division title. He was able to go in the transfer portal and get guys, two guys from the Raging Cajuns to come in and help. One of them's coming back. The other one's trying to go to the draft. He got a guy from McNeese to come in to help. The first time around, he had to go to Louisiana Raging Cajuns, McNeese Cowboys, Florida International Panthers to get players. Arizona State. Now, he's getting guys from Ohio State, Texas, that are coming in via the transfer portal. Brian Kelly understands what it is. He understands that the transfer portal is essentially like going to get a guy out of JUCO college. Out of a JUCO. That's what it is. Back in the day, you recruit players out of junior college. They're only going to give you one year, maybe two. Because typically guys that go to junior college play two years in junior college to get their grades right. They get tape out on themselves. They're there to be signed. You can bring them in. They'll play one year. If they're really good, they'll go into the draft after a junior. If not, you'll have them for two years. Brian Kelly understands this, and it's almost like he's approaching the NCAA transfer portal like you should. You're renting a player. That's all you're doing. You're bringing in a guy that play one season, maybe two for you, and that's it. The, the illusions we have of guys being signed out of high school and playing four or five years at one school, that's just not the world we live in anymore. And Brian Kelly kind of understands that. Once again, needed depth at cornerback. Needed starting experience at cornerback. Needed starting experience across the defensive line. And what did he do? Transfer portal. Three guys from Power Five conferences. ACC, Big Ten, Big 12. Come on down. Here's your opportunity to play in the SEC. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
Uh, it was a good night on the hardwood for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns basketball programs as both the men and women picked up much-needed victories. The men, who had started off conference play with back-to-back losses at Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion, had bounced back and got back to 500 in conference play with back-to-back wins, including one over Southern Miss. But they had to go back on the road last night up to lovely Fan Ewing Coliseum in Funro. In-state robberies are always tricky. They just are. Even when the other opponent may not be on the same level as you, doesn't have the same caliber of talent that you do, they always just get up. Now, early in this game, it didn't seem like ULM was even going to be able to field a basketball team. Final score, 86-73 to in favor of the Raging Cajuns as they improved to 3-2 and two in the Sunbelt Conference. But Louisiana jumped out to a massive 19-4 lead. Kevin Foote and I were at the women's game. And in between, during timeouts and everything, we were checking in on the men's game, watching it on our laptops. And, uh, yeah, we were like, ooh. And then they pushed it all the way back up because ULM would cut into the lead during some of that next stretch, but the Cajuns were still up 23-9 to with 11.45 remaining in the first half. And they kept keeping their distance. And at the break, the Cajuns led the Warhawks 47-30. to It was a 17-point halftime lead. They led by as much as many as 24 in the first half. Totally dominant. But credit the Warhawks, even after Louisiana made it a 17-point advantage, 55-38, ULM kept trying to cut it back down. They put together little runs here and there, including a 14-5 run that cut the lead down to 10 with 7.53 to go. But then the Cajuns made five of their last seven shots. Then Keith Richard for ULM, the head basketball coach, got called for a technical. That sparked an 8-0 run for the Warhawks as well. Once again, it's not easy to go on the road and win games. But in the last final stretch of the ball game, Louisiana outscored ULM 10 to 5 as they picked up the 86 to 73 victory. Jordan Brown, Greg Williams Jr., Greg Williams Jr. has found his confidence. He is miles better this season than he was last year. He just looks like a more confident guy. There's no hesitation this year. He feels like when he shoots it, it's going to go in. Brown and Williams combined for 39 points in the victory. UL shot 62% from the field. That's really good. While shooting 65% in the second half. Brown himself was 8 of 11 from the field. He also had 7 rebounds, 5 assists to go along with his 21 points. 
Raging Cajun men get the win. They improved to 13 and 4 overall, 3 and 2 in Sunbelt Conference play, and they're going to make the short trip over to Mobile to take on South Alabama on Saturday. Tip-off is scheduled for 3 p.m. While the men raced out to an early lead, and let's be honest, maintained it, the women, it's been a struggle for them. Coach Broadhead's team, they've struggled with fine, consistent shooting, not having Brandy Williams, who got injured before the start of the season. Huge for them. And they're still trying to find themselves, if that makes any sense. It's been an up-and-down campaign for the Cajuns. They entered last night's game, in particular, at 8-8 eight and eight overall, 2-2 two and two in the Sun Belt Conference. But they did come off a convincing 71-51 win on the road at Texas State. Where they played some of their best basketball of the season. Last night, after a first quarter that saw them only hold a one-point advantage, very much a back-and-forth first quarter, they took control in the second Started the second period on an 8-2 run. Tamara Johnson scored a layup off a turnover, which really got the bench excited. South Alabama was able to cut it down to five. But then the Cajuns closed out the first half with a 9-3 run, held a 35-24 advantage at the break. They pushed their lead up to 13 twice early in the third, then led by 14 as Jalen James got herself a, uh, a layup. Then they pushed it all the way up to 19 as Lene Whedon hit one of her jumpers with 220 left in the period. They maintained the double-digit lead during the fourth quarter as they picked up their third Sunbelt Conference win of the season as well. Lene Whedon led the Cajuns with 18 points on 7 of 14 shooting, pulling down nine boards. Tamara Johnson, meanwhile, had 16 points and a team high as well, eight rebounds. For the Raging Cajuns women, they'll go travel to Troy on Saturday. Tip is set for 4 p.m., but then they come back and they get two games back at home next week. But it does feel like maybe they're starting to possibly turn a corner. And I asked Gary Broadhead that last night. Does he feel like his team is finally starting to turn a corner here in mid-January? I think so. You know, I kind of saw that when we went to Southern Miss. You know, I thought we played... uh... I, I thought we played really, really good at Southern Miss. That's the game that I think I'm the most disappointed at that we didn't win because we we, we had every chance to, 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 to finish it off, you know. And, and it was a tough game, but we stuck to our guns. We stuck to our game plan. We, I mean, I thought it was a pretty much complete game, you know. And it's just one of the things, you know, we got to get back. And the game gives you, I, I try to explain to them, the game gives you what you put into it. And that's one of the things, like even tonight, 47% from the free throw line is going to be tough. We got to, we got to get better at that, you know. And, you know, it's and it's it's how many people are playing today? We probably play 10 or 11, but you know, most of the time we're playing eight or nine. Those eight or nine people got to make free throws. Still plenty to work on, right? And Gary Broadhead is correct. Longtime women's basketball coach at UL. Still plenty to work at, work on. Even though they got good production. You'd like to be a little bit more efficient at shooting the three ball. You'd like to not 
have the issues that you did at the free throw line, 11 of 23. You'd like to be able to out-rebound your opponent a little bit more. They won that rebound battle, 25 to 22. But something they did do very well last night was they dominated in the paint. They outscored South Alabama 34 to 20 down low. And Broadhead talked about how the inside scoring was key in last night's victory. Well, I think, you know, when, when you go inside, you don't really have to score it. And she's so good at, 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 at flashing, you know, like if the ball goes in, she'll flash. And then she gets most of her points. And we talk about this 24-7, that, man, she wants to score 20 a game. That's the way to do it. And I think she's starting to feel more comfortable doing it, you know. She doesn't really have to do it from the outside. You know, Ren will get it, and Ren will look. Ren's not always looking to score, so she can drop to people that are diving and all that. So I think we got to get more people involved. And I think that's what's ended up happening. We're getting those. And we want to run a little bit more, too. You know, we didn't press as much tonight. So we want to run and get in transition and try to get into the paint and get some scores. So I think that's the key. You know, I, I think we haven't uh, got there yet. I think we're still growing in that direction. But we got to get better at trying to get scores. Even if they press us, to score. they didn't press that much tonight. But not just break their press like we normally do. We want to score off of it too. So it's just a process. I think that we're, you know, we got uh, I think one third of our games played for conference. We got 12 left. We got some time to get better. Still got time to get better. Troy is a nice little rivalry game because of the history between the two programs and the history between the two coaches, and that'll be a challenge on Saturday. But it does feel like Gary's team is starting to kind of find themselves. And look, as long as they peak at the right time, and for them, it's a conference tournament. The Sun Belt's not sending two teams to the NCAA tournament. There's not. Two years ago, right, 2021, UL was the regular season champs of the Sun Belt Conference. They lost in the title game of the conference tournament. NCAA didn't take them. They had to go to the women's NIT. So Gary understands that, hey, you know what? If we're still struggling a little bit here in January, we still have time to figure it out as long as my team is peaking at the right time, which is entering the conference tournament, and we can put together a run. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, oh, man. We're going to leave the hardwood behind briefly as we start looking ahead to wild card weekend. AFC, NFC games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'm going to give you my predictions on who I think is going to win those games. That's coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NFL Wild Card Weekend is upon us. Two games on Saturday, three on Sunday, and of course, Monday Night Football will end Wild Card Weekend with the Dallas Cowboys traveling to take on the Tampa Bay Bucks. But let's start it off. Let's look at what we got here. 
because we have some intriguing matchups. And I want to start off with the very first game. It's an NFC West divisional game between the Seattle Seahawks, a surprising team this year who sneak in and get the final wild card spot of this of the NFC on the final weekend of the season. Seattle, thanks to Detroit's win at Green Bay, Seahawks get the final spot. Seattle 9 and 8 overall. Surprising season. A lot of people thought, oh, no Russell Wilson, they're going to be garbage. Well, they weren't. They were actually pretty good. Geno Smith, man, threw for 4,200 yards this year. 4,200 yards, 30 touchdowns from Geno Smith. You know what DK Metcalf does? 1,000 yards receiving, six touchdowns, 90 catches. Big body wide receiver, tough to bring down, fast too, freak of nature. But a big key, in addition to Geno Smith resurrecting his career this year, was the play of Kenneth Walker III, the rookie running back out of Michigan State, who's more than likely going to be your offensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Thousand yards rushing, nine touchdowns on the ground, and they love feeding him the rock, 228 carries. But as good as Seattle is this year, as nice as the story it is about Geno Smith, uh, Kenneth Walker III, looking like he belongs in the NFL, San Francisco is just built different. Just built different. Lots been made about Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. It's one of those situations where the kid went to the perfect place. He's in the perfect system. He got to wait a little while to kind of get his feet wet. And he's placed for a team that does two things really well. As much as Kyle Shanahan is known as an offensive genius, you know what his 49ers teams do really well? Run the football and play defense. That has been the bread and butter of many teams to win playoff games. Brock Purdy may be limited, Still waiting for the other shoe to drop. Many of us are. And it could happen Saturday. Or it could happen in the divisional round or in the NFC Championship game. Weather is supposed to not be great. It's supposed to be rain in the forecast there in lovely Santa Clara, California. Yes, once again, San Francisco plays in Santa Clara. It's a whole thing. Despite having a seventh-round rookie starting at quarterback in the conditions. They have Christian McCaffrey. They have Elijah Mitchell. And they have one of the saltiest defenses in the NFL. I like the 49ers to win. It may look ugly at times. But once again, style points do not matter in the NFL. They just don't. I think San Francisco wins. I think it's closer than a lot of people think. The spread is 10 I think San Francisco covers, but it may be a little bit closer than people think because of the conditions. Plus, it's a divisional opponent. But 49ers advance and move on. The nightcap on Saturday, Los Angeles Chargers. 10-7 and overall. They lost their regular season finale, but they had nothing to play for. So you can't really hold, you know, put a lot of emphasis on that. But they're taking on Jacksonville Jaguars team surprising team 
Guess what happens when you get a good coach? Doug Peterson arrives, Super Bowl winning head coach of Philadelphia, comes in, changes Jacksonville in a heartbeat. The roster is essentially the same as it was last year under Urban Meyer. But what a difference one coach makes. Jaguars rally, finish strong, 9-8 overall. They win the AFC South, which is why they're hosting. Trevor Lawrence has been playing extremely well. Travis Atien Jr., former Clemson star, and Jennings product, by the way. Had nearly 1,200 yards rushing this year, five touchdowns. Christian Kirk, been very steady for them, over 1,000 yards receiving eight touchdowns. And Trevor Lawrence has played well. They have weapons on offense for Doug Peterson. Defensively, they have a couple of guys. And on paper, this looks like it should be a Chargers win. Chargers finally get into the playoffs with all the talent that they have. They have what many people consider a generational quarterback in Justin Herbert. 4,700 yards passing, 25 touchdowns. They have some guys. They have weapons. A slew of impact players on both sides of the football for the Chargers. But who do you trust? I don't really trust either one of these teams. And I actually kind of trust Jacksonville more because I believe they have the better coach. And they're at home. When it comes down to it, if both of the teams are very similar, always go with coaching. Now, the Chargers should win. They're favored, but here's the thing. They're only favored by a point and a half. They're a one and a half point favorite. That's it. Vegas is telling you the difference between the Chargers and the Jaguars is only a point and a half. That's it. I'm picking Jacksonville to win here. I think the Jaguars are going to get it done at home. And there's going to be a lot of angry Charger fans in Los Angeles or if they're still in San Diego for another early flame out by the Chargers in the postseason. This also may pave the way for a certain former New Orleans Saints head coach to take the job that he probably really wants. Do you fire Staley after making it into the playoffs? Maybe. Remember, they clinched a playoff berth, then lost their regular season finale. Then if they you know, lay a stinker in the wild card round against Jacksonville, a team they're favored to beat, well, maybe you make a change. But I like Jacksonville in a close one there. Sunday, triple header. It begins with Dolphins-Bills. I'm going to make it real easy for you here. We're not going to spend much time there. I love Miami being in the playoffs. I love the fact that the Dolphins are ascending. Tyreek Hill is dynamic. But Tua may never play football again. Teddy Bridgewater may not go this weekend. They're going to be depending on their third-string quarterback. And does anyone believe that you can stop the Buffalo Bills right now? Who are playing with so much emotion because of Hamlin? 
who are so determined. Once again, they were a Super Bowl preseason favorite. They only lost three games. I like Buffalo to win this one. The point spread is 13 and a half, and I think the Bills easily cover that. This is a divisional game. I get it. But the Dolphins are not going to have Tua. They may not have Teddy. They may not have Teron Armstead. I I saw a graphic yesterday that indicated that the Dolphins may be without six starters for this game. On the road in Orchard Park, New York. Bills cover easy here. The second game of the triple header on Sunday is far more intriguing. Giants-Vikings. Daniel Jones actually looks pretty good. Finally, new head coach has changed the fortunes of the G-men. Now, they're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. They got in as the third NFC East team to make the playoffs. They're 9-7-1. And they're only 500 away from the Meadowlands. 4-4. Saquon Barkley is a dude. Daniel Jones has played better. And I like where the Giants are headed. But the Vikings are 13-4. and And yes, we've talked about them being paper tigers this year where they play better competition and they find a way to screw it up. And they beat up on some bad teams. Kirk Cousins through for only 4,500 yards and 29 touchdowns. And as good as Saquon Barkley is for the Giants offense, 1,300 yards on the ground, 10 touchdowns, the best player on the field when they kick off at 3.30 on Sunday is the former LSU Tiger, Justin Jefferson. The Giants have no one on their roster that as good as he is. They don't have a single defensive back that's going to be able to stop him. Jefferson, 128 catches this year for 1,800 yards receiving. This is going to be a close game. I believe the Giants are going to play up. They're going to be fired up. Point spread only favors Minnesota by three, which is essentially a wash. Vegas is essentially telling you this is a push because the home team usually gets about two, or two, two and a half points. They don't believe in the Vikings. But for me, when it comes down to this, both of these teams have first-year head coaches, by the way. Made a difference. New coaches have made a big difference. Who has the best player in this game? Minnesota does. Minnesota wins. They got Justin Jefferson. I'm going with the Vikings to win. Once again, it won't be pretty, but it'll be a victory. And the final game of Wild Card Weekend, because technically Monday Night Football is not the weekend. Just like to point that out. Ravens-Bengals. I'll make this one easy as well. Bengals by 100. They're motivated and they're pissed because they couldn't get home field advantage because it was taken away from them by the NFL. They got a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They just played their division rival in the regular season finale. They feel like they're a legit Super Bowl contending team after going to the big game last year. Burrow, oh, he only threw for 4,400 yards and 35 touchdowns this year. 
Joe Mixon, seven touchdowns on the ground. Jamar Chase, despite missing some time, still had 1,000 yards receiving, nine touchdowns, 87 catches. The Ravens' defense isn't very good. The Ravens' offense will not have Lamar Jackson, who had to tell fans, I'm still dealing with the injury. I'm not going to be playing. His backup has been limited in practice as well. This is in Cincinnati. Bengals are only favored by nine and a half. I know it's a division rivalry game. I understand that. Bengals-Ravens meeting for the first time in the playoffs. Bengals by a hundred. They're going to put it on Baltimore. They're going to want to make a statement. I'm telling you. Take that to the bank. As for the Monday night football game, as it stands right now, Cowboys, Bucks, I'm torn. I'm going to marinate on it over the weekend. I will give you my pick for Monday night football. Cowboys, Bucks to cap wild card weekend. I'll do that on Monday show. Because I've gone back and forth on this game. And right now, Dallas is a two and a half point favorite. That's it. But Dallas hasn't won a road playoff game since before Hannah was born. So there you go. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update that poll question of the day. Where do you think Sean Payton's going to be coaching in 2023? We'll get to your comments as well. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home during the holidays, you can now use that smart speaker to listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. Once again, just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. Poll question of the day, who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? Arizona Cardinals, Denver Broncos, Houston Texans, or other, and other could mean not coaching at all, by the way. Right now, 55% of you say Arizona, 5% of you say Denver, 10% say Houston, and 30% say other. Ton says, I'm thinking Rams or Chargers. Cardinals are a mess with ownership. Broncos are throwing up emoji. And Texans are worse. Meanwhile, he has a house in Cali. The women are mostly pretty, and he'd have full autonomy. No brainer. John Paul Cage and Daddy says, so number one is Rams if the Sean McVay, if Sean McVay retires. Cardinals have the QB, so they would be number two. Denver is a no QB, turns out to be a basket case. Texans complete rebuild with lots of cap and 13 draft picks, even one from the Saints. JPK, the OD, says, looking forward to another let's ride cringeworthy moment. Let's ride, Broncos country. Let's ride. <laughs> Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. LSU football team adds a trio of Power 5 transfers and make that announcement last night. Yeah, it was early last night. They make the announcement official that they added two cornerbacks and a defensive lineman via the transfer portal. Cornerback out of Ohio State with two years of playing experience, including being a starter. A two-year starter at Syracuse, also at cornerback. And then a defensive lineman that started his career playing for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame before playing the last two years at Texas. So they add some quality depth at two positions of need. Once again, I've said it before, Brian Kelly understands the NCAA transfer portal. He used it to his advantage last season. He's doing it again this season. Now, look, he may get to the point where he doesn't have to rely on the transfer portal as much. Right? He's added 10 via the portal this recruiting period. So you'd like to get to the point where maybe he doesn't have to be so dependent on the portal, but this may be what all teams have to do. You may have to go into the NCAA transfer portal every recruiting season and get you about five to six guys. And you're essentially using it and approaching it like you would signing a kid out of junior college. Most kids out of JUCO have already played two years. Boom, you bring him in, you get him for at least one season, sometimes maybe two. Maybe that's going to have to be the approach for all of the big-time college football programs that because of the flurry of activity in the more than 1,000 players that are inside the portal, maybe it's just like every year you go, okay, We're going to sign so many high school kids, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to make sure to sign us five to six, maybe seven or eight guys out of the NCAA transfer portal. And maybe that's how you have to recruit now. Maybe Brian Kelly's just embracing this and is maybe ahead of the curve. There's other programs that aren't doing that as much, that are trying not to be in the transfer portal as much. But I believe you're pretty much seeing the writing on the wall here that this may have to become the new norm in college athletics, in particular for football, where you have to sign a handful of guys out of the portal every recruiting cycle. But they do address their depths. They do a nice job there with getting two guys that have starting experience at cornerback and another starting defensive lineman. And don't forget, for... LSU's defense for this upcoming 2023 season, Mason Smith, who many believe is their best player overall. The defensive lineman that got injured in the opener against Florida State there inside the Caesar Superdome, he'll be back. So you're essentially getting another starter back as well that you didn't have essentially for the entire season. So some good, smart moves by Kelly and his staff adding those three guys yesterday. 
While Kelly and his staff were doing that, the LSU women's basketball team went up to Missouri and said, Tigers, the other Tigers, let me tell you something. You came into our house last year, shot the lights out from three-point range, forced us to have to go to overtime to beat you. We're not going to have any of that this time. We don't have to worry about playing extra time because we're just going to go into your place and beat you by 20. 77-57 win for the LSU women's basketball team who remains undefeated, the number five ranked team in the country. Alexis Morris, who has been hampered by some health issues. She actually came off the bench last night, 24 points, five of five from three-point range. She also had five assists and two rebounds. And Angel Reese, the transfer who was brought in, who's had a double-double in every single game, guess what? She got another one. 20 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks. She was 8 of 14 from the field. LSU women's basketball team just keeps right on rolling along. We'll talk more about the LSU women's basketball team when Dylan Sanders joins us coming up at 7.30. That wasn't the only hardwood action, though. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, both men and women, picked up wins last night. The women got themselves a victory over South Alabama, 66-49. to Lene Whedon, 18 points. Tamara Johnson, 16 points. They both had eight rebounds as they helped the Raging Cajuns improve to 9-8 and eight on the season and 3-2 and two in Sunbelt Conference play. Gary Broadhead's team will now go on the road to take on Troy on Saturday. But then they'll be back home inside the Cajun Dome next week for two games at home. The Raging Cajun men, they began a road trip last night. Had to go up to ULM. In-state rivalry, always tricky, right? They race out to a huge lead. They lead by as many as 24 points in the first half. They end up building up a 17-point lead at the break. And even though ULM went on to a couple of runs there, especially in the last seven to eight minutes of the game, a 10-0 run, an 8-0 run, it wasn't enough because every time they put together one of those runs, the Cajuns responded. They get the 86-73 win on the road. They improved to 3-2 and two in Sunbelt Conference play last night as well. They'll go on the road to South Alabama and try to win four in a row in Sunbelt Conference play. Jordan Brown, 21 points, 8 of 11 shooting last night, 7 rebounds, 5 assists as the Raging Cajun shot 62% from the field and 65% in the second half alone. So, Cajuns get the victories. For the McNeese Cowboys... Unfortunately, they come up short. After beating Northwestern State on Joe Dumar's day inside the Legacy Center last week, they go up to take on their rival up in Natchitoches last night. But the Demons, who we talked about on yesterday's show, we expected them to be a little bit more inspired. We expected them to play a little bit better. 
when these two teams met yet again? That's exactly what they did. The Demons went on a 24-8 run over the last six minutes and 14 seconds to rally from a 46-43 deficit to beat McNeese 89-75 in Southland Conference action. McNeese falls to 5-12 overall, 2-2 now in the Southland Conference. It's the second straight loss in conference play for the Cowboys while the Demons won their second consecutive conference game and snapped a four-game losing skid to the Cowboys. McNeese was in control of this game. They led 35-24 at the break. But it was a sloppy game. 26 total turnovers, 10 by McNeese, 16 by Northwestern State in that half. McNeese did have all five of its starters scoring double figures. Jonathan Massey had a career-high 18. Christian Shoemate added 15. But it wasn't enough as the Demons just lit it up in the final five minutes to win the ballgame. And now the Cowboys, as they honor one of their best players with retiring his jersey on Saturday at home inside the Legacy Center, they're going to have to get back on track. Once again, they'll be retiring John Rudd's number 52 jersey Saturday at the Legacy Center before they take on Houston Christian University, formerly known as Houston Baptist, also known as the football team, plays their games next door to a CVS that's actually attached to the stadium. True story. Poll question of the day as well. Lots of buzz about Sean Payton. Where is the former New Orleans Saints head football coach going to go? Three teams have been granted permission to talk to the man that led the Saints to their one and only Lombardi Trophy. Arizona Cardinals, Denver Broncos, Houston Texans have all been granted permission. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to go to any three of those teams. He's just going to interview with them. And it doesn't mean that there's not other options. Arizona is intriguing, but their ownership is a little wonky. Same thing with the Texans, even though the Texans have a ton of draft capital because of the Deshaun Watson trade. Now, that's a rebuild. You're building that from scratch, but you have a ton of draft capital. And you can build the team in your image. So that could be appealing to Sean. Denver, they thought they were a quarterback away. They're committed to Russell Wilson. Let's ride. But, man, I think that team was shown that it's more than just a quarterback away. Right now, 52% of you say Arizona Cardinals is who Sean Payne is going to be coaching next season. 30% say other. 11% say Denver. 7% say Houston. The Los Angeles Rams are intriguing to me. Sean McVay is still their coach. Now, they have no draft capital whatsoever because they traded away all their picks to put together the team that won the Super Bowl last season. But it is in Los Angeles. Sean lives in Los Angeles. The Rams are committed to spending money. The Rams are committed to making trades. I'm just saying. 
The Rams job intrigues me because it looks more and more like Sean McVay is going to retire and step aside. You, It's been proven that you can win there and you can win there with an owner that is committed to spending whatever money it takes to get after it. Now, that roster is not great. You got a banged up Matthew Stafford coming off another shoulder injury. Your team is aging. There's some big-time issues involving the Los Angeles Rams. But they do have some nice pieces. And that owner may give Sean Payton whatever he wants. So I'd keep an eye on what happens with Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams. I'd also keep an eye on what happens this weekend for Wild Card Weekend. The Chargers are only 10-7. and seven. If they lose in embarrassing fashion to the Jacksonville Jaguars, you could see the Chargers make a change with their head coach and get rid of Staley. And then if you're Sean Payton, the Chargers have to be number one on your list. You get Justin Herbert and all the other offensive weapons they have. And look, Sean's not the type of guy either. He's not a big rookie quarterback guy, is he? I mean, when he took over the job in New Orleans, they brought in they brought in Drew Brees. So, does he go to a place that has a veteran quarterback, a guy that's already established? That way he doesn't have to worry about that and he can focus on, on the other things? And it's worth looking at. Miami's another one. We know from reporting that Sean Payton and Tom Brady tried to get together in Miami. It didn't happen. The Dolphins essentially back into the playoffs. What if they get housed by Buffalo? Do you give that coach another chance because of the injuries to Tua? Or do you say, hey, I get a chance to bring in a Super Bowl winning head coach? And of course, Dallas, which is always tops the list there of possible destinations for Sean Payton, we talk about it, it seems like, every offseason for the past 10 years. He was an assistant coach there, and Jerry Jones loves him. If the Cowboys lay an egg against a Tampa team with a losing record, if they flame out yet again in the playoffs, could Jerry Jones finally pull the trigger and get rid of Mike McCarthy and say, guess what, Sean, here you go. Do whatever you want. So even though there's only been three teams granted permission to talk to Sean Payton, Arizona, Denver, and Houston, there's other teams in the mix, both Los Angeles teams, Dallas, and Miami. Get to some of your comments here. Salty Steve says, if I put on my vermilion color glasses, I can see him going to the Cowboys. Erath will hold a crawfish boil in his honor and the Saints settle for a number two pick. If not, he will maintain his TV chair and the Saints get nothing. I also will say this. Everyone's so focused on the Saints getting a first-round draft pick for Sean Payton. If you're the Saints, wouldn't you take two twos? I'm, I'm just being honest. Get get a team's second-round pick this year and then their second-round pick the next year? I would take that all day long. It's first-round talent at a second-round price. Thank you. All day long. You're so focused on just, oh, getting a first-round draft pick – if someone offers the Saints two second-round draft picks, 
a second rounder in back-to-back years, I would take that all day long. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming as well. Who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? That's our poll question of the day on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Hey, just want to let you know, if you didn't get what you wanted from Santa, not to worry. We have the gifts you really want in our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of the Rewards Club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. You can also get yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen also there at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. In addition to that, there's a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard in our Rewards Club and a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today so you can have a chance to score these excellent prizes. We'll take a timeout. When we return here, Reports are that all AAA ballparks will have robo-umps. That's right. Robotic umpires for the 2023 season. We'll dive into that. And does that mean that we're just a few seasons away from seeing that in Major League Baseball? We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're getting closer and closer to the events in the Terminator films becoming a reality. Sources tell Buster Olney of ESPN that all AAA ballparks are to use electronic strike zones in 2023. That's right. Robo-umps everywhere in AAA baseball. The electronic strike zone will be used in all 30 class AAA parks in 2023. Sources have told ESPN seemingly another significant step towards the implementation of the technology at the big league level in the near future. The automatic balls and strikes system, commonly referred to as ABS, or I like to call them robo-umps, will be deployed in two different ways. Half of the AAA games will be played with all of the calls determined by an electronic strike zone. The other half will be played with an ABS challenge system similar to that used in professional tennis. Each team will be allowed three challenges per game with teams retaining challenges in cases when they are proved correct. Major League Baseball's intention, because once again they run the minor leagues now, is to use the data and feedback from both systems over the full slate of games to inform future choices. So half of the games will be done with all the calls being done with the robo-ump. 
the other half of games in AAA baseball this coming season will be played with a challenge system where each coach will have three challenges per game. They're going to essentially use this season as a guinea pig, if you will, and then figure out what works best. Do they keep this system moving forward where it's half and half? Do they use the robo-ump but also have challenges? Or do they just use the challenges? And then Major League Baseball will look over all the data and figure out what they need to do moving forward for this. Now, this sure does feel like a step in the direction of at least having those challenges becoming commonplace for Major League Baseball, but it sure does feel like we're going closer and closer to having robo-umpires in the big leagues. But Major League Baseball, as of right now, has no firm date to implement the ABS system into the big leagues. But the robotic umpire has been used increasingly more in the minor leagues, and this is another significant step in that direction. So if they keep doing it in the minors, where they can tweak the system, where they can make adjustments, where they can figure out what works and what doesn't, they're going to make sure that the trial run, if you will, goes off without a hitch before bringing it to the show. Started back in 2019, the Independent Atlantic League used the Electronic Strike Zone in an All-Star game. In that same year, the Arizona Fall League was played with ABS. In 2021, the ABS was deployed in some Class A parks. Last season, the full ABS was used for some AAA games. Now this season, reports are it'll be used in all AAA ballparks. Half the games will be utilizing the ABS. The other half will have three challenges per team per game using the ABS system is the challenging process. If Major League Baseball were to commit to electronic strike zone calls for all pitches, this would dramatically change the position of catcher. Right? We, we don't think of it like that. But that totally changes what the catcher does. So... We'll see. Human error by the umpires has always been part of the game of baseball. I understand wanting to get it right. If I had a preference, I would prefer the challenge system. But I don't know, man. I'm just I, I don't know if I'm on board for robotic umpires. But it's coming. Whether I like it or not, whether we like it or not. It sure is coming because Major League Baseball is spending a lot of money on it, developing it in the minor league system. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we're going to talk. Oh, we're going to talk a little LSU women's basketball. That's right. Dylan Sanders will be joining us from Go247. We're going to talk LSU women's hoop. Undefeated, top five ranked team in the country. And guess what? They just beat a team on the road by 20. Dylan's going to break it down for us. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Kim Mulkey in year number two has the LSU women's basketball program rolling. They're undefeated. They're ranked in the top five in the country. They just went on the road in conference play and beat a team by 20 points. By Mind you, that was a team that gave them problems a year ago, had to win that game in overtime at the PMAC, if you remember. Uh, there'd be none of that last night. To break down how quickly Kim has turned things around and just how good can this team be this season is a man who covers the LSU women's program. For go two four seven, Dylan Sanders joins us now. Dylan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, my job's easy watching this watching this women's basketball team. I mean, they just go out and dominate everybody. Yeah, they, they, they kind of are. You know, let's go back to the start of the season because you know Kim made the, makes the decision not to really play anyone of of note because she didn't know what her team was going to look like, right? That was the whole thing of I'm bringing in these new players. I got some high schoolers and I got some transfers. I don't know how good this team is and we need to build up some confidence. And it sure is paying off because they are simply rolling right now. Now I know they haven't played Tennessee and I know they haven't played South Carolina. That's still to come, but that get that decision to go with that scheduling format's really paid off because her team is playing at an immensely confident level. Yeah, and it it all really circles around one name, Angel Reese, who is just dominating every game at a level that, I mean, I don't know the last time that uh, women's basketball saw it or men's basketball saw it, but it, it really feels like, it's the most dominant I've seen one person in the team sport since that 2019 LSU football team. It, it just has that same vibe to it. Just every night, you she goes out and does whatever she wants. If she misses a basket, she's getting her own rebound. Um, and if one of them misses it, she's also getting that rebound. Uh, yeah, and of course, it was just the, just the other night she set the uh, the school record with 28 rebounds. Uh, against Texas A&M they beat Texas A&M by 40 uh, at home so yeah it really just they're playing at a very very high level and it all really circles around Angel Reese who has to be near the top of the uh, competition for the Wooden Award this year you know when Kim goes into the transfer portal and she's able to get someone who was a McDonald's All-American as a high schooler and she was from Baltimore, and then she goes and is an All-American at Maryland, you know, hometown girl, so to speak, to be able to poach her from Maryland, who has a pretty good basketball program, women's basketball program in particular, I was like, ooh, 
There it is. And I wasn't expecting Kim to be able to navigate the portal as well as she's done because she's an old school coach. She's from the era where you commit to a program, you stay with that program, you know, for all four years, five years. And she's very much old school in a lot of different ways, but she's got a pretty good grasp on this transfer portal thing. Uh, yeah, she got a pretty good, pretty good grasp on transfer portal and recruiting. Uh, next year's recruiting class is insane. Uh, there are multiple McDonald's All-Americans in it, which is it, it just in three years she has transformed into uh, transformed OSU into a program to where you can realistically get anybody. Like there's there's not a, a name that's like oh they're too good to come to LSU. They can get whatever she wants. She's you know gotten Flaugier Johnson. She's gotten Angel Reese, who was the best player in the portal. She's got Michaela Williams, the number one player in the country next year. It's the the confidence. It it's it kind of almost happened too fast for LSU fans to really realize how crazy. The, the transformation has been. The um, shoe is is rolling. Kim Mulkey is building herself to be one of LSU's best coaches of all time in any sport. Just and she's only in year two. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly for certain Scott crazy. Woodward's done a, a very nice job with the people that he's hired so far. It's been it's it's been some you know you, you, the football team won ten games in year one of Brian Kelly's tenure. Uh, the women's basketball team is undefeated, ranked in the top five. The men's basketball team's doing pretty well with a mid-major roster, and the baseball team is the preseason number one ranked team in the country, and many people believe is going to Omaha. So uh, so far so good in the first couple years. Yeah, he's, of he's his already tenure. hired. He's hired four coaches and three of them are in a race to win a national championship already already i want to talk about alexis morris because she's the one holdover from last year's team uh mm-hmm. she's been hit a little bit with the injury bug right she hasn't been right or, or sickness you know last night she had a very good game 24 points five from five from three point range i, I know it's just one game dylan but is the thought process around the program that, that Alexis is maybe starting to kind of turn a corner and, and going to be uh, consistently being able to be counted on game in, game out the rest of the way? Uh, well, we've asked Moki about it, and she's never spoken anything, any, anything down on how Alexis has been this year. She's been, been very complimentary of Alexis because Alexis is playing a new role in the offense. She's, she's the point guard now. And she's never had to do that before. So she's learning a new role. She's getting better and better at it. Um, and as long as she continues to, to grow and in, in confident in her shooting, because uh, that's really what they need to complement Angel Reese's game. They need more shooters. Um, so as long as she's being efficient and running the offense, Mulkey's going to be happy with that. Um, but I do think she's, uh, she's getting better and better. Yeah. The big hurdles for this team in SEC play, obviously, look, you can lose to any team in conference play. We all know that. But really, the two big hurdles for them is going to be a, an improving Tennessee team and obviously the, the the big bad of the conference, and it's been that way for a little while, is South Carolina. 
Yeah, they, I mean, yeah. So Arkansas is also yeah. pretty good. They've already they beat Arkansas uh, by twenty four twenty four by twenty four. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, uh, they're still one of the best SEC teams. They still have to play them again. Uh, they play them at home next Thursday. They they luckily get Tennessee at home, and uh, yeah, then it's South Carolina, um, and it'll be Angel Reese. Uh, versus Aaliyah Boston, who is having a, a little bit of a down year. Um, but, I mean, South Carolina is still very good. That'll be that'll be really the, the SEC tournament uh, finals preview, maybe. Um, I, I don't see how you expect either of these teams to finish lower than that. And it, it's just crazy to think that a year ago, everybody was celebrating the three-seed uh, in, in the NCAA tournament, and now if this team finishes as a three seed, it's a, a disappointment. Um, it does feel like and, Dylan that both South Carolina and LSU are in a collision course for the regular season title, for the conference tournament title, and possibly a national title. I mean, it, it feels like both of those teams are going to be in the mix for you know, uh, you know, Final Four. Yeah, and, and again. Uh, it'll be the national narrative. The reason LSU is still only ranked fifth with how dominant they've been is that they've only played one ranked team, and that team is no longer ranked because they lost LSU. Um, so it'll it'll continue be, to be the narrative. Those Tennessee games and South Carolina games will be massive. Um, but my my thought of it has been if LSU isn't playing the best of competition, but they're winning every every night by 25 to 40 points, it kind of evens out. Like, they're doing what a good team should do against okay competition, and that's just routing everybody. Talk a little bit about there's seems to be this instant rivalry between LSU women's team and South Carolina, and I know it, it dates back between the two coaches, right? So, and, and they've mm-hmm. known each other, and they've coached against each other. Um but for those that may not be that knowledgeable about the, I guess, the relationship, we will, between Dawn Staley and Kim Mulkey, uh, what, what is it in, is there actual beef there or is it just two highly, highly competitive individuals? Um, well, you know, it's definitely two highly, highly competitive individuals. But, uh, I mean, it does go back to uh, last year and – uh, Don Staley choosing to kind of go after LSU fans um, and not supporting past coaches as much as they've supported Kim Mulkey already. Um, and that kind of obviously lit a fire. And in, even in the press room, people were visibly and audibly upset by the comments. And then, of course, that goes back to Kim Mulkey and – it, listen, they're two of the best coaches in uh, college in college basketball right now. Period. Don Staley is going to go down as one of the goats. Kim Mulkey is also going to go down as one of the goats. So when you have those two in the same conference, of course it's going to happen. They are the conversation around them is is going to be highly debated every time, and. They're both very outspoken coaches, so it'll be hard to um, 
it'll be hard to hide from the rivalry talks. And then of course, on the court, both of those, uh, both of them have their teams playing at a very intense level. So it goes to the court as well, um, where the the games are intense. So it all kind of feeds into each other. Yeah, it, they're both fighting for the best team in the SEC and going to be doing that for years to come. So the rivalry, the rivalry is real. Um, although, I, I mean, I don't think that either of the coach disrespects the other. Um, I think they both, the, the, the respect is there, but also with that comes the, the want to be better than the other coach um, and want for the teams to be better. So it'll be, yeah, it, it's going to be contentious every time that they uh, that they see each other, but it's it's coming out of a place where they both know how good the other coach is. We'll wrap it up with this, Dylan. Sunday's game versus Auburn is Family Day and Alumni Day, and it's also going to be the day that they're going to unveil the statue of Simone Augustus outside the PMAC. Just how significant is? Simone Augustus, who I would argue is on the Mount Rushmore of LSU athletes of all time, regardless of gender or sport, how big of a deal is it having a statue of her outside the PMAC? Oh, yeah. I mean, I really don't think it can be uh, overstated how important that's going to be for the future of the program. Uh, if, yeah, if you want to talk about an influential person in, in women's basketball – over the past 30 years, Simone Augustus is near the top. Uh, even Angel Reese uh, recently shared a picture of her at like a meet and greet with Simone Augustus as a child. So it, it's, yeah, having uh, the first woman statue, the uh, uh, female athlete statue at LSU is going to be huge. It's going to be huge for recruiting. It's going to be huge for women's sports in general it's going to be huge for literally everything it cannot be understated how important uh this statue is i'm so happy it's been it's finally happening i've been fighting for it for years um so yeah it's going to be great to see it finally get unveiled and then uh yeah lsu fans can uh can pack out the pmac for that auburn game dylan appreciate the time as uh always brother tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to read all your stuff for go 247 yeah, you can go to go247.com uh, and, and read uh, pretty much all of our uh, all of our post game articles are free. And then we uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dilly Sanders, where we do uh, you know game by game updates. Dylan, appreciate the time, but enjoy the weekend and enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll do. Thank you all. Y'all have a great day. It's Dylan Sanders from Go247, talking LSU women's basketball undefeated, ranked in the top five, and they'll be unveiling the Simone Augusta statue on Sunday before the game against Auburn, which will be at 2 o'clock. Hey, just a reminder, get Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon. That's going to be on Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the adult hydration station. A party bus is going to follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all or some or none, it doesn't matter. We just want you to have a good time. The audience is going to vote for the winner of the costume contest to so bring your loudest, craziest friends. It's the Lunday Graal Barathon 
Free drinks, food, and prizes. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. We got to take a timeout when we return. We'll update the poll question of the day and close out hour number two. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? The Saints have granted permission to the Arizona Cardinals, the Denver Broncos, and the Houston Texans to interview their former head coach. Interesting, though. I personally feel like the teams that may have the best chance of getting Sean Payton still have coaches and are coaching in the playoffs this weekend. Dallas, obviously, is number one on that list. Cowboys makes a lot of sense. He'd be coaching the same place his mentor did, Bill Parcells. Makes a ton of sense. Plus, Jerry loves him. Now, would Sean go to a place where you have an owner that's constantly meddling? That's the big question mark for me. Would he actually go there knowing that Jerry loves to be in Jera? The other job that's equally as appealing, I believe, to Sean Payton is the Los Angeles Chargers. They got a young quarterback. They got some wide receivers. They got a stud running back. There's a lot of pieces already in place. Now, both the Chargers and the Cowboys are on the road during wildcard weekend. What if those teams lose and flame out? Could they make a decision and go after Sean Payton? It could be where he goes. Right now, 49% of you say Arizona leads the way. 25% say other. 19% say Denver. And 7% of you are saying the Houston Texans. Darren asked the question, Colts. Could be a possibility. Not denying that Indy doesn't seem appealing, but you would need to figure out the quarterback position. And Jim Ursay is, well, Jim Ursay hired a man with no experience to be interim head coach this year. Is that a stable organization? Is that a place that Sean would go, yeah, that's the type of ownership I want. I don't know if Jim Ursay's that guy. But it's a good thing because that, you know, is obviously could be a very appealing job as well. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're going to kick it off with Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser talking all things Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived, not only for today, but for the week. So make sure to get your votes in and your comments in on our poll question of the day. Who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? We gave you some options. One of them is other. I would strongly encourage you choosing other. But that's just my thoughts. But leave those comments as well on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout the rest of today's show. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ryan Hinton. 
from the Saints Twitter podcast will join us for the Big Easy Blitz to talk all things black and gold. What are the big decisions that have to be made involving the New Orleans Saints this offseason? Take away the Sean Payton decision on if you're going to get picks back from him or not. What are some other things that have to be figured out? What are some contracts that are going to have to get reworked? Who needs to be cut? Who needs to be traded? We'll talk to Ryan about that coming up in a half hour. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things vermilion and white with the man who covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. Our good friend Corey Diaz joins us now. Corey, good morning to you, bud. How are you? RP3, I guess with the, uh, with the exception of the fluctuation of this weather, kicking my absolute butt the last few days. Uh, I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Yeah, you can't figure out, do I need a coat? No. Do I need shorts? Maybe. I don't know what's happening. Sinuses say, I hate you. Um, and that's pretty much how that <laughs> how that rolls right now, <laughs> my friend. I feel your pain. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about what Bob Marlin's doing with the men's basketball team because they start off disappointing, right, with the two losses to open up conference play. They let the one at Coastal get away from them. They were up by 10 with five to go. And then they, they faced a really good Old Dominion team, and they lose that game. But they've bounced back now three straight wins, including last night's road win at ULM. What's been the difference for Bob Marlin's team? Well, when you look at last night, I think uh, anytime you can get uh, really more – you got to speak more efficiently, right, than say just, you know, outright output. Um, but when you can get – you know, a guy like Jordan Brown to give you 21 on, on 8 of 11 shooting, um, that's going to be big. That's big help because, you know, then it's going to allow everyone else uh, to probably get better looks at the basket, you know, get uh, get higher percentage shots um, because, you know, he will require, you know, much greater detail from the opposing team defensively. So when you can get performances like that, you know, it gets a, you know, for all intents and purposes was a, you know, fairly hot ULM team uh, headed to the game last night. Uh, you get performances like that, it's, you know, it's going to help you out because um, you need a guy, especially in leagues like the Sun Belt, you know, and, and, and kind of that, that mid-major level, right, in college basketball, um, you need a guy um, that can give you a 20 a night. Um, and Jordan Brown seems to hopefully be, be that guy for, for Bob and, and his staff uh, that they can count on night in, night out. They've also, during conference play, started folding Kobe Julian back into the mix of things. They're not rushing him. Uh, obviously, we're seeing him be rusty, and especially in, in a few of these games where you can tell that you know he hasn't played meaningful minutes in a year, <laughs> and, and it's and it's shown. But they seemingly have gotten kind of a better handle on it in the last few games. What do you think that's going to look like moving forward with Kobe? and how they utilize him in this lineup. Yeah, I think, um, you know, anytime it's hard to, hard to replicate, you know, um, you know, we say this about all college sports, right? Whether it be, you know, football, basketball, baseball, softball, what have you, but you know, it's hard to, it's hard to simulate, you know, the speed of the game during practice, you know, especially when you're rehabbing off of an injury, you know, you're trying to refine. Uh, your rhythm, you're trying to regain your footing. Uh, it's a hard thing to do. And, and uh, you know, usually at this point in the year, right, um, you know, most coaching staffs have kind of already identified, you know, who their starting, you know, starting five are, who their sixth man is, uh, who else, you know, sort of fills out, um, you know, the rotation that, at particular positions. Um, 
But when you talk about a guy like Julian, you know, he, he's a guy that can come in and give you minutes. Um, and I think as we get closer right to postseason play, obviously these games that are, are, are going to potentially get, you know, uh, Louisiana, who was very close to getting to the NCAA tournament last year, got to the, you know, Sunbelt Conference tournament championship game. You know, a guy like that who can who can get those uh, significant minutes, like you were talking about, RP3, get those significant minutes now and then say a month and a half from now, be ready to be a significant contributor to this team. Uh, I mean, I, I think Bob's going to be excited about that. I think his staff will be excited about that. And I think it obviously positions this team, right, to uh, actually, you know, this was a team that was obviously the, the preseason favorite to win the league. Um, and so I think getting Julian back, getting him the, get him, getting him these significant minutes in January is going to do nothing but deepen this team and it's going to uh, position this team better to make a run, you know, come late February and March when the, you know, when the conference tournament gets here. Kentrell Garnett had a good game last night. So did Greg Williams. They both have seemingly improved their games from a season ago. How key is that for this team, especially if they want to make a postseason run and win the conference tournament to have those two guys be able to be consistent scorers for them. Yeah, sure. You know, it's kind of you know it's kind of a similar you know situation when we talk about Jordan Brown, right? You know, it's you know when you get to conference play, you know, and in, in my years of uh, covering college basketball, you know, uh, January is kind of like you know. Uh, it's kind of like Thursday and Friday, you know, of a of a professional golf tournament, right? You want to you want to position yourself, right, to to make a run, and that's what February is. Uh, February is, is is you know is Saturday, you know, and then obviously the last week or so is kind of that Sundays where you can kind of close. Um, getting these guys, um, you know, really, it's I think aren't really. RP3, it kind of goes back to confidence, right? I think I think this team, you know, when they when they first opened up conference play, uh, I think this team had kind of lost a little bit of its confidence, and I think they were searching for it. Um, and so, getting these guys confident on the offensive end, um, you know, again, it's kind of like when you get a Jordan Brown that goes for 21, you know, eight or 11 shooting, it, it's gonna it's gonna open up some passing lanes. Guys can get these other guys the ball, and as long as they're finishing, you know you're gonna you're gonna have an opportunity to you know score as many points like they did last night at ULM, and and uh, and it's gonna give you a greater opportunity to not only gain that confidence but sustain it because those guys have now you know in these games that matter, um, these games that position you you know for postseason play, uh, they've actually contributed but also performed and you know and executed. Uh, in these games that matter. So uh, it's huge, man. I mean, you know, whenever you can get four, five, six guys, you know, that can that you can count on to be pretty efficient for you offensively, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be huge. We're talking with Corey Diaz. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, they they gear up for an interesting stretch of their schedule. They have to go play at South Alabama on Saturday. And South Alabama's not very good this year, but it's conference play, so you have to, you know, get up for every opponent. But then it's on the road at Arkansas State, then on the road at Texas State, then they, you know, come back home finally on the 26th against Troy. Uh, what do you make of 
the upcoming schedule for the Cajuns because they have what appears to me to be a lot of winnable games, but the Coastal Carolina game should have be should have been a one, right? So, what do you expect to see out of Bob Marlin's team as they go on the road, continue this road trip for the next three games? Well, generally speaking, RB three, I probably could speak for Bob and the players. You hate, I think you hate playing three straight road games. Uh, most most oh, leagues don't yeah. do this, right? Because uh, it's it, you know it, it's hard played on the road and, and to ask a team to have to do it three straight times. I mean, um, you know, it, it is a tall order. You know, regardless of uh, whether you're playing, you know, cellar dwellers in your league or if you're playing just the top teams. And, and you're kind of right. I mean, these these games coming up, you know, for, for UL, you know, all the teams are, are you know kind of in that same tier. I feel like in the Sun Belt, you know, South Alabama, you know, they they've got some guys. I mean, they. You know, this was a team that's, um, you know, that's made some noise uh, at various points over the last couple of years. And, and they've kind of been a team that I've been kind of waiting to, to finally, like, hit all cylinders and put it all together. They just still haven't quite gotten there yet. So, yeah, going to Mobile and playing, playing at their place, I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, I remember watching the, the, you know, Alabama played at South Alabama earlier this year. And I remember watching that game on TV um, earlier this season. And, and uh, South Alabama hung with what is now the fourth best team in the country uh, for more than a half. Um, it, it's a tough place to play. Um, and so, but I think for UL, getting getting this, south, this trip to South Alabama on the front end of a three-game road stretch is, is actually beneficial because it could be a tone setter, right? If they go, if they go to South Alabama, go down there. Jordan Brown has another really good game. Uh, the offense continues to be as efficient as it has been. Um, you get a win, then you can really set yourself up to to perform well for, for the remainder of this road trip. And if you can get, you know, if you can go two and one on this three game stretch, or even three and zero. Oh, I mean, again, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about positioning this morning. I mean, that going three and zero oh in a in a three game road stretch is, is huge for positioning yourself at or near the top of the league. Um, you know, as we're getting closer and closer to to February. So um, I, I look at that that first road game, man, of this trip. That that South Alabama game is going to be big for Bob and his guys. If if they can come out of there with a win, a convincing win, a comfortable win. Um, that's going to be a tone setter for this for the for the two games that follow it on the road. Corey, football. I want to ask you about this because obviously we're kind of in a down period, and there's still activity going on in the NCAA transfer portal. We just saw LSU bring in three guys via the portal yesterday. Made that official. Do we anticipate any activity via the portal during this kind of dead period right now for Coach Des and his staff? You know, uh, personally, RP3, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think kind of the guys that that were kind of near the top of my list once the, you know, once the, the Independence Bowl ended and, and the season was kind of pretty much in, in you know, in in the rearview mirror. Uh, the guys that I kind of felt like might be uh, taking a chance elsewhere have already, you know, entered their names and have already since, um, you know, exited. Uh, I, you know, there, there's always, you know. There's usually always a, a surprise or two, or a guy or two that's kind of a little, you know, eyebrow raising. Um, you know, what was he thinking? Why? Why would he be doing this? Uh, but I think for the most part, I mean, you look, you look at who's transferred out for UL up to this point, and 
And you look at other teams around the Sun Belt, other G5 schools, I mean, even P5 schools, I mean, credit credit Desimo and his staff, man, they they somehow really have avoided, you know, kind of a, a, a big name or a big-time player, you know, who still has a lot of eligibility left that's, you know, decided to enter his name in the transfer portal. They, they've kind of avoided that. So uh, I think that's got to be a credit to, to Des and, and his staff and kind of the culture that they're, you know, building over there, um, you know, around Cajun Field. So, um, like I said, I don't, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see any, um, you know, major names. You're not going to see like a Neil Johnson hit the portal or, or you know, somebody on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, like a Courtline Flowers or something. I mean, I think these guys are, you know, they're they're bought in. So, I mean, you're not going to see any big-time names hit the portal um, from, from the UL football team, I don't believe. Now, the thing I'm actually more interested to see is if, you know, Dez and his staff, you know, who who could they potentially bring in from the portal? You know, because there's still a couple of spots. You know, I think that they could, you know, they could try to bring in some guys that have already played college football for a year or two or three. You know, could be looking for, you know, a little more experience. Um, you know, and so uh, I'm I'm more interested in seeing, um, you know, kind of what that'll what that'll shake out to be. You know, as we uh, you know, because look, we have another signing day approaching. You know, in February, uh, which has kind of been turned into this forgotten thing. Um, but it still exists. Uh, they haven't. NCAA hasn't taken it off the books yet. So um, you know, we could. You know, you could see another. You know, transfer to. You know, sign with UL. You know, in February. So uh, that's what I'm more interested to see. Not necessarily who who potentially could enter the portal from the team, but who may be joining them from the portal. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, man. It's it's you know, it's weird because you know you you hit the the college football grind really you know, right at the beginning of, of July, really, you know, and, and you go for, you know, the better half of the second half of the year, and, and then it's just like an abrupt stop. <laughs> so uh, so you kind of give yourself a little breather after the season ends, and then, uh, you know, once you kind of get back to it, it's like, oh, well, what's going on with football now? It's, it's, too, it's almost too quiet. So, um, but, yeah, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll have another signing day here in a couple of weeks, and, um you know, the next thing you know, it'll be spring football, and then it'll be football season again. It, so, it, it never um, ends, brother. It just never ends. Yeah. It's a never-ending <laughs> cycle, man. Never-ending cycle. Never ends. Corey, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing there at the Daily Advertiser, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Appreciate you, brother. Y'all take care. Hey, let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun here at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media Station. And look, if you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience from retail to telemarketing and everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director Johnette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. That's jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or by simply calling 896-1600. That's 896-1600. we got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day, get you your comments. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us. 
at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day, who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? Once again, the Saints have given permission to the Arizona Cardinals, the Denver Broncos, and the Houston Texans to interview their former head coach. Right now, though, 45% of you say the Arizona Cardinals of that group is the most likely to be where Sean Payton will be coaching for the 2023 season. 29% of you, though, say other. 20% say Denver, and 6% say Houston. Now, There's some intriguing options here. Arizona makes a lot of sense, but their ownership is a bit of a mess. You get Kyler Murray. Yes, he's coming off the knee injury, but you get a young quarterback who's already been in the league for a couple years. Maybe you go out and get yourself a veteran quarterback. You have some pieces there, even though there's rumors that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be traded. So maybe there's too much unrest with ownership and the direction of the Cardinals. That would scare off Sean Payton. Denver's intriguing. They have a lot of nice pieces. Defense is there already. Sean can go to Denver and not have to worry about defense. It's taken care of. Can he fix Russell Wilson? And Sean, the man has an ego. He would love nothing more to prove that Russell Wilson is, in fact, not washed up and that he could save Russell Wilson's career and turn him back into the Russ that was cooking just a few years ago. Not the guy that is now the butt of jokes coast to coast. They have some nice pieces as well in the wide receiving room. Denver could pull it off. Could pull it off. The more and more I go with this, the more and more I like Denver as a possible destination. Houston has all the draft capital in the world. Once again, They have an owner who's a bozo. They have fired head coaches back-to-back years. Does that seem like a stable organization to you? No. But you could go there, put your stamp on things, and you have all the draft picks in the world. But here's the other thing. There's not a quarterback on the roster. Now, could Sean go to Houston And bring a free agent quarterback with him like he did when he took the Saints job and they were able to sign Drew Brees? Yeah, sure. There's going to be some guys available. Derek Carr, Jimmy G. Also, Lamar Jackson is more than likely not going to go to Baltimore, back to Baltimore. So a former league MVP could be there available as well. But I think it's the other teams. If it's not Denver, I think it's the teams currently in the playoffs that may be able to land Sean Payton. I'll give you three of them. Los Angeles Chargers, Dallas Cowboys, and Miami Dolphins. Don't forget, the reports were out that Sean tried to get the Dolphins' job and try to pair up with Drew, uh, or try to pair up with Tom Brady. It didn't work out. Now, Miami faded in the back half of the season. They have issues at quarterback because of injuries to Tua. They have some nice pieces there. But they back into the playoffs, barely get in, They have to go place Buffalo. They have to go play Buffalo this weekend. What if the Dolphins get trucked? I know it's a first-year head coach, 
But if the, if you're the Dolphins and you get a chance to land Sean Payton, do you do it? That could be an option. We always talk about Dallas over and over again being that option, right? Jerry Jones loves Sean Payton. They're friends. Sean would go back to the franchise where he was mentored by Bill Parcells. It checks a lot of boxes, but you're going to have to wait on Dallas to lose this weekend, which, once again, the Cowboys have not won a road playoff game since before Hannah Five Names was born. So it's been a minute. And if the Dallas Cowboys lose to a Tampa Bay team with a losing record, does Jerry pull the trigger finally and say, okay, Sean, what do you want? But is Sean going to deal with an owner that loves to meddle? Because that's what Jerry... Jerry loves him some Jerry. Sean came from an organization where the owner was in the background. wasn't all about him. Is he going to be okay with that? I don't know. But the Chargers job seems to be the one that makes the most sense. Get Justin Herbert. You got some nice pieces at wide receiver. You got a stud running back. But once again, Chargers are going to be on the road at Jacksonville. What if the Chargers lose to the Jags? Do you make a change there if you're the Chargers? Your team just made the playoffs, but do you view them as, hey, yeah, we made the playoffs, but this is the best we can do. Our ceiling is just making the playoffs as a wildcard team with this coaching staff. Do you make a change? Get rid of Staley? Get Sean Payton? Maybe. Also, dark horse in that whole mix, Los Angeles Rams. They just are. Looks like Sean McVay is going to step away now. They have no draft capital. None. They have an aging roster. But they do have an owner that is committed to spending a lot of money. Isn't afraid to break the bank and go all in to try to win a championship. Plus, Sean lives in Los Angeles. Just to throw that out there. Just to throw that out there. Martin on Twitter says, unless the Chargers or Cowboys jobs open up when he won't be coaching anywhere this season, all the openings would just be a waste of his time. Ralph on Twitter says, I'm going to say other because a job always opens late that no one expects. If Dallas loses to Tampa, that could open. Vice versa, Tampa could open up. McVeigh could retire. Or he very well could wait one more year. Sean holds all the cards, not the Saints. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But of the options we have there, Arizona, Denver, Houston, I think Denver makes the most sense. We got to take a timeout. When we return, you know what? We'll ask this question to our next guest, Ryan Hinton, better known as Dat Boy Wolf on Twitter. He hosts the Saints Twitter podcast. He'll join us for the Big Easy Blitz. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Ryan Hidden, better known as That Boy Wolf on Twitter from the Saints Twitter Podcast, joins us now for the Big Easy Blitz. Ryan, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I'm good, Ray. How's everything going, man? 
It's going well, man. It's going well. So I'm going to ask you our poll question of the day because obviously the Saints, we know this week, granted permission to three franchises to interview their former coach, Sean Payton. Arizona, Denver, Houston. Do you believe any three of those are an actual viable option to land Sean Payton and have him be on their sidelines for the 2023 season? I do. I actually do think they are viable. I do. I, I'm not 100% sure uh, Sean loves those choices. Like, it wouldn't shock me if he, like, if those are the only three choices this offseason that he decides to go back to doing the media. Um, but I do think those are viable options. And the fact that, you know, they have granted permission uh, tells me that, you know, at least he's intrigued by them. And, uh, you know, we're gonna, I think we're going to get some answers next week, man. You know, they all have their pros. They all have their cons. But the one that stands out to me, Ryan, the, the more I think about it, is Denver. And, and this is why. Yeah. You know, that defense is salty, right? He, he can go yeah. to Denver and not have to worry about the defense. That's taken care of. They also have some nice pieces on the offensive side of the football. His ego is fairly large. Oh, yeah. He would love nothing more than to go and fix – Russell Wilson and turn him from a joke back into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, wouldn't he? He would love nothing more than that. No question. No question. And look, I mean, you know, Russell Wilson wanted to play for Sean Payton. Even even the last two years when Russell Wilson was flirting with looking at other teams, you know, the Saints was always one of the top of the list because he's always wanted to play with Sean Payton. And uh, as bad as Russell Wilson has looked the past year and a half, I think you know, there is still something there that Sean could work with. Like, you know, will will Russell Wilson ever be what he was? Um, probably not. But I think Sean Payton could put together something to make, you know, Russell Wilson a solid, you know, top 13 type quarterback. And with that defense, I think, you know, they can cook. Because Russell's not going anywhere. They paid him a ton of money. So, you know, I think they would be, the ownership over there would be intrigued to bring in somebody like Sean Payton. And I think, you know, I think that might be the move. You know, I think that's the most intriguing one out of all three. Now, that also leads us, though, to there's three teams that I think are viable options that are currently playing wildcard games this weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And Dallas obviously is atop that list. The Chargers are on that list. And you know what? I think Miami is on that list as well. Yes. And you're looking at firing two coaches that have been there for two seasons, but maybe the Chargers and the Cowboys go, hey, this is the best we can do with the, with this coaching staff is be a wild card team. Maybe we need to make a change and bring in the Super Bowl winning head football coach. And the Dolphins, even though they backed into the playoffs and they had a ton of injuries, not only to Tua, but Teron Armstead and others, they've been, you know, a, a walking mash unit the last eight weeks of the season. Maybe you go, hey, this is a guy that wanted to be here before. Hey, you know, we can get this guy to come in. What do you think of those three exactly. options? No, I, I completely agree. I talked about that on the latest podcast episode we did where I think this weekend will be interesting to see what happens with, you know, with the Chargers and with the Dolphins and um, the Cowboys because those three would be much more, um, you know, Im impressive options for Sean Payton. Uh, he's always wanted to go to the Chargers. That makes 100% sense. Still don't think, even if they lose this weekend, I don't think Brandon Staley is out. But you never know. Um 
Dallas, look, we already know they've been hanging around for a long time. Jerry Jones is an absolute wild card. No one knows what he would do if they were to lose and get embarrassed this weekend. Uh, to the to the and then you got Miami, which, like you said, they already have a relationship with ownership. He already was set to interview with them last last year until the Saints blocked them, and they already forfeited a first round pick for doing some, you know, background shady dealing. And you got the whole Tom Brady factor, which, you know, Tom Brady and Sean could come as a package deal, which is something they supposedly worked out, according to Mike Florio. So there's a lot of interesting things. That's why I say next week, man, next Tuesday, Sean Payton can interview uh, with the teams on the 17th. Then you start to see the outcomes of these games this this coming weekend of the wild card game. I think we start to find out a lot. That's why I'm looking forward to next week because I think the streets gonna get hot. <laughs> the the streets are gonna get hot. And look, I know some people, you know, are like, well, you know, would would he really want to go to the AFC West and face Mahomes at Abear twice a year? Sean Payton's competitive. Like right. like that's an ultra competitive dude. He's not going to, you know, look at it and go, hey, no, I, I'm not going to go into the AFC West. I'd be too intimidated. He's he's not that guy. He's just not built that way. He's just not. No, not at all. Now, Sean, Sean, Sean would love to go there and try to own those. Like he, he would love to go there and break down Mahomes and try to find ways to really, uh, you know, uh, take advantage of the things he does, man. So, no, nah, man, Sean's too competitive for that. If he finds the right job, that he feels good with that can bring him, you know, somewhat immediate success that he doesn't have to rebuild too much. That's all it takes, man. Ryan, Michael Thomas has his deal restructured, which makes it extremely easy now for the Saints to either trade him or just simply cut him. Or they could, you know, possibly, I know it's a long shot, keep him on the roster. What do you think is going to happen with Michael Thomas? Do you think he – is it going to be traded, cut, or do you think he's going to stick around for the 2023 season? I think he's going to be let go um, probably in a couple of weeks. I think I think this was just a just a pretty much a precursor. He's basically cut on paper right now, so I don't think he's coming back. I think he probably wants to, you know, find a you know find a just somewhere different. You know, things just went really bad. It's unfortunate. I really wanted them to try to working out one more year, even though it was a gamble with, you know, his injury history so far. Um, but, you know, I think it's just going to be one of those things where they just go their separate ways. He's going to probably go try to find a quarterback um, that he will want to play for or coach. And, look, I mean, from the same standpoint, I guess I understand it, man, because, you know, they paid him a lot of money over the past couple of years to not play. And it might just be one of those things where it's just like, hey, we just, we just got to move on because it's a team with a lot of, you know, a lot of contracts they're trying to carry, and they can't really afford to kind of mess around with players that, you know, is coming off multiple injuries, you know. But I, I wanted I wanted to keep Mike Thomas at least one more year just because they need a receiver like him. Like, he's like – like, even if they let him go, they need to find a way to replace him, you know. Well, and that wide receiving room is going to be interesting because if they part ways with, with Mike – they then are going to be parting ways with Deontay Hardy, it looks like as well, because they have as a replacement in Shahid. So that's yeah. going to be another guy gone. Callaway's contract is up. Traquan Smith's contract yeah. is up. So you really just have Chris Olave 
right? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, it's, it's Chris Olave and Shahid. You know, that, that, that's, that's pretty much it. it. And they, it's back to like last year. Except it's funny because last year we were desperately looking for you know speed on offense, but now you know the Saints really need to find a guy, whether it's in the draft, free agency, trade, or whatever. Uh, some a possession, a big possession receiver that can do a lot of work in the middle, you know, that can play that X spot um, and catch high volumes of passes and keep, you know, third down, red zone. That's the, what they really need to focus on this offseason because, you know, you got your two pillars out there with Olave and Shahid. Shahid was a outstanding fan, man. Like he was, he, I look forward to seeing how he grows, especially if they can figure out the quarterback spot. Is Andy Dalton going to be on the roster for 2023? Man, you know, look, Andy Dalton was fine. He was a fine quarterback. He played fine, but he is the true definition of quarterback uh, purgatory. He will never elevate your team. Um, He will only get you what's there, and that's fine, especially as a backup, Um, but I – I personally, I just don't want to see any more of it. Like I, <laughs> that last <laughs> that last game, that Panthers game, man, left a bad taste in my mouth. That was a that was a bad game, and to lose like that, with, you know, seven points, it's, it's just I don't want to do it. If if you could bring it back as a backup, it makes sense. Um, but I would be desperately looking to not have him start. That leads me to my next question. You know, we've talked about the play calling at times, especially offensively, being bad. How they've utilized Alvin Kamara this season, trying to make him into Jerome Bettis when he's actually more like Marshall Falk, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense to me. And you just put all this wear and tear on a guy who's not really built for that. You're not utilizing your playmakers right. You're not having Taysom Hill on the field in particular times where he could be helpful. You're having Mark Ingram run to the outside. You have Alvin Kamara run to the inside. Uh, You know... Will the Saints move away from Pete Carmichael as their offensive coordinator? Why has it happened already? That's what I want to know. Yeah, well, that, that's why I'm asking, I mean, man. Have, that's why I'm asking because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it makes no sense to me why this hasn't happened yet. And look, look, Pete Carmichael's been a part of the, you know, he was part of the Super Bowl coaching staff. He's been a part of the team since 06. So obviously he didn't want to do it respectfully. It would surprise me if he remains with the team just in a different role but they they got to make a change man you got like guys like Matt LaFleur that was let go by the Jets out there you got you know guys all kind of off and it's it's a you know it's a game of musical chairs right now you got all these coaching staffs changing positions right now where it's time you got to strike right now um so I hope they make a change man whoever comes in they really need somebody that could take over that offense and make you know, make and really structure the offense with the personnel in mind, you know, because Alvin Kamara, he is still good. When he was used in the past game this year, as little as it was, he was still great at it. You know, those were some of the best games we had when he was used in the past game, but for some reason they just didn't. I mean, he, they, the Saints used the 32nd in the league with the use of like motion. Like a Sean Payton offense, not using motion. Uh, it, it, it's just the misuse of Kamara, uh, the misuse of Taysom Hill, or the little use of Taysom Hill. It just boggled my mind. And, you know, 
for Pete Carmichael, it's just, you know, this might not be the job for him, and that's fine. But they really need to hit on that off. That, that is the most important move this offseason, even beyond quarterback. Because whatever quarterback, I, I don't want this staff picking whatever quarterback coming in. I need somebody with the vision, uh, the offensive vision, to be able to help bring that quarterback in. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? You got to, you know, it, a lot of people say, well, you know, no matter what happens with Sean Payton, we, we need to get a young quarterback in here. You know, the Saints need to do this. Okay, well, that's fine. Let, let's say you want to get a young quarterback in, that can sit and develop behind Andy Dalton, and Dalton can be your bridge guy. Okay, let's say I buy yeah. that, Ryan. Do you trust Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael to develop said young quarterback? No. There it is. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And, and they should be able to see that. Dennis Allen should be the leader to see that. He should be able to see that and should be able to, you know, have the cojones to make whatever moves. You're the head coach, man. Like, make the move. Brother, it was we always make the right move when we have you on the program. Tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get the podcast. Hey, look, you can follow me on Twitter at that boy Wolf, D-A-T-B-O-Y-W-L-F. And you can find us on all uh, podcast platforms, hashtag Saints Twitter podcast. Check us out, me and my co-host Adam West. We just talk Saints. We have fun, laugh, cry together. We keep it going in the off season. so check us out. Ryan, appreciate your time as always, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your weekend. Appreciate you, brother. Lafayette Marble and Granite, you know, you've heard me tell you before that not only do they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble here in Acadiana, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. And trust me, earn it they will. They did with yours truly. The wife and I were searching for the right marble for our bathroom remodel. Couldn't find the right marble. Couldn't find the right cut. Got some bad customer service along the way as well while we were trying to find it. Thankfully, we found Chris and his team over at LMG. Not only did we find the marble we wanted, the cut that my wife wanted, customer service was top-notch. It was great, so much so that we can't wait for them to help us with our kitchen remodel. And look, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves, though. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free shower line. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 north across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Make sure to tune in this Sunday for a wild card triple header on The Game. It starts off in Buffalo where Josh Allen and the Bills We'll take on division rival Miami. Then it will be the Jeff Justin Jefferson and the Minnesota Vikings taking on the New York Giants. The day is going to be capped with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and the Bengals hosting the Baltimore Ravens. The action begins at 1130 Sunday, and you can listen to it here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest 
for closing out the week with us, Dylan Sanders, Corey Diaz, and Ryan Hinton. Poll question of the day. We ask you, who will Sean Payton be coaching next season? 43% of you say Arizona Cardinals. 26% of you say other. 24% say Denver Broncos. Only 7% say Houston Texans. Thanks to all of you who voted on the poll question of the day and all of you who commented as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. It's greatly appreciated. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsha Third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday morning from 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Coming up next, Kevin Foote and Footnotes right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.